the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. We're at episode 232. You're with Paul Spain. And Angus Richardson. Hey, Angus. Great to have you uh, joining me. Thanks for coming along. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Now, for those that are wondering where you fit into the technology landscape in New Zealand... Well, I'm the managing director of uh, DocKiwi, New Zealand's newest and most exciting domain name. Excellent. We'll be diving in and chatting a little bit more about DocKiwi later on in the show. But first up, let's get into the news of the week. Firstly, Microsoft have confirmed that Cortana, their voice assistant, is heading to Android and iOS. Is this something you're interested in? You're an iPhone user, aren't you? And you use Android as well? I am. And I mean, I'm obviously a big Windows user, having used and been familiar with PCs for all my life. I think it's something I'm definitely interested in, although I've never really used Siri. I think that uh, the fact that Cortana will, you know, it'll integrate across all my devices once Windows 10 comes into effect, I think it'll be pretty interesting. Now, the downside we have there in New Zealand right now is that Cortana isn't officially available in New Zealand, so you have to adjust your settings for it to actually operate. So the noises I'm hearing suggest that yeah, it's not a million miles away. And when you think about it, for instance, on the Xbox here in New Zealand, which uses you know, your voice to control it, that works officially in New Zealand with a New Zealand account. So you've got to think Cortana can't be too far off before it becomes available. But I guess there's a little bit more to it than just the voice recognition because Cortana has to be able to answer some of your questions too, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And you can almost guarantee that when it first comes into full effect in New Zealand, it won't be able to pick up the accent either. Well, interesting you say that because I'm finding most of these, you know, voice assistant type things are getting pretty good with my accent. I guess it depends on how extreme your accent is. Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, all right for you with that American accent. <laughs> Canadian, uh, thank you. Canadian, sorry. I always do that. Yeah, that throws things out. Well, no, it throws you much closer to the mark as far as these things that are developed in the States, right? Yeah, it's certainly true. It's yeah, certainly true. Yeah. Now, while we're talking about voice assistants that can be controlled in varying devices, We had the Amazon Echo arrive last week, and the reason I got tripped up with the word Alexa is that Alexa is the wake word for the Amazon Echo, and we were playing with this a little bit bit before, and for listeners that aren't familiar, the Amazon Echo is a speaker. Uh, from Amazon that also has a voice assistant built into it that can do uh, varying bits and pieces. So we might just try that out and give listeners a little bit of demo on how that works. Now, because this isn't officially available in the New Zealand market, there are a few oddities. For instance, if I try and find out where I am at the moment, let's try that. Alexa, where am I? You are 1.41 miles, 2.27 kilometers, northeast of the center of Seattle. Okay, On this occasion, Alexa uh, or the Echo is incorrect, but there are one or two things that it does work for. Alexa, how high is Mount Cook? Mount Cook's height is 13,766 feet, 4,195.9 meters. So that sounds all right, although, yeah, interesting that it gives it to you in feet and meters as well. I guess covers both bases. Just in case you're not familiar with the conversions. Yeah. Now, they also tout this as being something that you can use in the kitchen. So, Alexa, how many teaspoons in a tablespoon? Oh, Alexa didn't hear me. No. Alexa, how many teaspoons in a cup? Oh, that's not working very well. One more time. Alexa, how many teaspoons in a cup? One cup equals 48 teaspoons. Nice. 
Okay, so there you go. Now, Hopefully you're not you, using two spoons to if, fill a cup, though. <laughs> if you've lost your measuring cup, you now know you can get away with uh, 48 <laughs> teaspoons worth of whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so there's a few interesting things. You, you can also have the – you can buy things through Echo. You can get Echo to keep a shopping list for you, a to-do list. Alexa, put milk on my shopping list. Milk out into your shopping list. Alexa, put gold on my shopping list. I added gold to your shopping list. Okay, now I wouldn't usually put gold on the shopping list, but hey, it works. So it seems like it mostly picks up the accent. Now, it's supposed to be able to pick you up from across the room, but when we tried it earlier, it wasn't so successful, was it? No, no, not with my particular recipe, at least. Yeah, so I guess it depends what you ask, and yeah, so, but interesting all the same. Now, the Amazon Echo, it launched late last year, but very limited availability, so I ordered mine probably six months or so ago, and it only just got shipped to my US address in the, in the last few weeks, so yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see where Amazon go with that, but I think, you know, Having Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Apple, and you know more companies starting to compete in this whole sort of voice assistant type space is uh, is not a bad thing because it can only yield better results, can it? No, certainly not. I mean, the, the value getting from all this competition is that they're going to keep trying new things to do each other. Would you think one of these would be useful in your kitchen or elsewhere in the house? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. As long as it knows the recipe for macaroni and cheese, it should be in my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the music playback is quite good too, you know, if you've got an Amazon uh, Prime subscription. So you know, I asked it before to play some music. Alexa, play house music. A Prime playlist for house. House hits. And away, and away it goes. <laughs> Alexa, shut up. <laughs> that was pre-programmed. <laughs> so it does it does recognize some commands that aren't the normal ones that they publish, I found. So mm, yeah, mm, very handy. So yeah, so that's the the Amazon Echo and it looks like those are starting to become a little bit more available, still focused on the US market, but those that are interested then uh, yeah, worth having a look on Amazon for and of course in recent weeks we came across also the desk that was a stand-up and sit-down desk that you could adjust the heights on that was available online. And that also had a voice assistant built into it. And we've got various sort of robotics devices that are starting to use this technology. So it's, it's an area that's sort of going a little bit nuts at the moment, which is makes for some interesting times ahead, I think, as the technology just improves. Now, we were chatting about uh, cars before we started, and one of the items Angus was the GoDrive car sharing service in London, which it looks like Ford are using as a way to sort of get a head start on uh, maybe where the future of vehicles is going. Yeah, well, it seems like they're certainly adapting to changing times, I mean, especially as London is the key market. I mean, they, I read a statistic the other day which said that 70% of households in London don't own cars, and yet you know, all of them are using public transit, and so Ford is adapting to that, uh, that market with their um, car club. Yeah, I've always found London to be a frustrating place to drive a vehicle. The first time I rented a vehicle in the UK, I remember this was before it was common to have a have a GPS at all. And I remember getting off the plane and I'd arranged to catch up with a friend for a meal at night and it was getting maybe it was it was dusk and trying to find the street signs in London that were often built into the side of the building rather than there being a really obvious street sign that you could see with your car headlights and the getting around London anyway. It was a nightmare, needless to say, I didn't make that meal. 
but on the same trip I had car broken in two and and I think I probably got a hundred pound or so uh, fine for parking over time. Um, so I'm not a big fan of driving <laughs> in London. So I can see why public transport uh, is so popular there. But when you do need a vehicle, the idea of car sharing, you know, sounds like quite a good idea, doesn't it? It does. And I, I mean, the city of London thinks so, too, because I think they actually have a strategic plan built around promoting car clubs to try and avoid congestion. Yeah, and there are, I mean, there are other companies that have got into this concept, but you know, we've talked about it before as we move to self-drive cars and uh, the idea of car sharing that you know, there's the potential to, for there need to be a, a lot less cars on the, you know, out there overall, cars maybe to not have to be owned by individuals because you're using these types of mechanisms. And yeah, let's face it, on, on average, most of us will use our car for you know, probably less than 5% of the, you know, the time that we own them. So you know, if we've got going forward you know, highly efficient vehicles that can drive themselves and are really reliable, then uh, just having a vehicle there when we need it is probably pretty cool. Yeah, very cool, especially with this one because you, you don't have to drive it both ways. So if you just want to drive somewhere, drop it off, maybe at a pub, have a few drinks, you don't need to worry about getting it home again. Yeah, and that I think that's something that we're only part of the way there with it. It's good that they're trying that concept, but as soon as you add that self-drive element to it, right, that solves the whole oh, yeah. the whole yeah, challenge of absolutely. people only driving a you know, a vehicle part way to where it needs to be next. So yeah, I mean, this is a reasonably small you know, service to start with. I think they're opening it up to two thousand people. And they're going to have 50 vehicles spread across across 20 locations in London, and then you'll have an app on your phone that will give you in real time the you know the charges of um, you know what it costs to use the car. You get the first five minutes are free, and you know then you could uh, build from there on in. So and yeah. interestingly, interestingly, you get billed by the minute. Which is as opposed to Zipcar, I think they charge you for a minimum of an hour. Yes, yeah. So it does encourage those sort of, sh- I guess, smaller or shorter shorter usages, doesn't it? Good for picking up the laundry. Yeah, <laughs> uh, when it's raining. <laughs> now, also going on, we've had uh, Microsoft's uh, Build Tour, which has been doing the rounds around the world since, since it happened in San Francisco recently. So that hit New Zealand on Saturday. So we'll have a special podcast episode that covers a little bit of the highlights there. So we'll keep that one for a special episode. Also, we've had Google's I.O. conference, of course, going on as usual this time of year. And a few interesting highlights out of that too, Angus. There were uh, you know, a couple that you were saying that you were particularly enthused about photo sharing is or the sorry the new uh, photo storage app seems to be one that's gaining a lot of interest out there unlimited photo storage for free yeah yeah i mean that's been making waves in uh, the media recently the idea that you store all your phones on the cloud or sorry all your photos on the cloud and you know it's 100 percent free and unlimited data storage really um i mean they say the only downside is that you can only store photos up to 16 megapixels but that's never been an issue for me yeah, I think yeah, there are a few limitations. One of them is resolution. I think it takes your photos and does resample them potentially slightly or you know, resave them with a slightly higher compression. Mm. So uh, although the, the comparisons I've seen online you know, don't make it look as though it really messes with your photos too much, but it's just making sure it's efficient in terms of how it saves them. And if you're someone that shoots with a digital SLR in a raw format, then it's mm. not gonna mm. it's not gonna handle that. Mm. Uh, but for you know, I think they're aiming at sort of general Joe or Jane public, and in those regards, 
yeah, it's probably a you know the best option out there in terms of that freebie option for yeah. Uh, yeah for just being able to drop stuff straight into the into the cloud. Yeah, absolutely, and save so much storage on your phone. So there's no need to upgrade to the 64 gig phone anymore if you're saving everything in the cloud. Everything right? sits in the cloud. You just you know keep on top of uh, erasing it. What I've found that there do seem to be some challenges in terms of how you manage that in your phone. I have. Uh, you know, I think there are you know mechanisms to handle it, but yeah, I haven't found what the perfect method is yet for me across all my devices to make sure that the photos I take are sort of automatically cleared out. You know, behind me, mm. so you you know you have to go through and uh, clear them out, and then they're all getting pushed up to the cloud. You know, the phone fills up after a while, so you have to go through and uh, and get rid of stuff. Right. So, yeah, that was one of the things we've uh, heard about the launch of Android Pay. And I guess, you know, that name highlights it sort of squarely sort of targeted at, at competing with Apple Pay by following the, the similar sort of uh, naming and Google, you know, highlighting a whole bunch of, you know, companies that are, uh, you know, supporting their NFC or near field communication payment from your smartphone, etc. And then there's also Expeditions. This sounds really cool. Yeah, well, it was something I found truly fascinating. It's The concept is simple in that you can take students for field trips anywhere in the world using their new virtual reality cardboard platform, which you know is truly incredible for kids who don't have the opportunity to travel overseas and visit some of these fascinating places. They can go on a virtual reality tour. It's incredible. Yeah, and you know we've kind of watched the virtual reality things and augmented reality sort of slowly advancing. But yeah, I guess you don't necessarily consider, unless you're in that educational space, what the benefits of it will actually be from an educational perspective. And yeah, we look at the area of education, it's just changing so quickly with Mm. the onslaught of new technologies all the time. In fact, I was using the Amazon Echo uh, with my son, who's about four and a half now, and yeah, he's been learning a few words. So you know, I've been uh, yelling out at the Echo and asking it how to spell stuff, and it generally does pretty good. Now there are a few examples where it doesn't, and I'll, I'll give you one uh, now. Alexa, spell mum. Mum is spelled M O M. No, you're wrong. It's uh, <laughs> not so, designed by Kiwis. Yeah, it. yeah. So uh, so that there's a few words that you fire at it, and of course it's going to come back with the North American variation. But yeah, I mean, just an example of a, you know, of a, of a technology that's you know, a bit of fun for a child to play with and help them as they're starting to learn to spell. But the onslaught of technologies that help us from a learning perspective is is pretty fantastic, isn't it? And I it think is. It's going to change the way our, well, it already is, change the way classrooms, you know, tend to operate because kids can basically go away and, and learn outside of the classroom environment probably you know at least as well as they can with a teacher around although obviously there's some benefits of still having the teacher and and interacting in that regime but it it probably changes the speed at which uh, kids learn absolutely you just have to wonder how you know with technology improving so rapidly how the education system could keep up i mean it's amazing the innovations yeah, and I mean, I think of just the availability of information on the internet compared to, you know, growing up 20 years ago. Yeah, there might be some encyclopedias you know, sitting on a bookshelf <laughs> where you could look things up and browse through them and read. You know, now kids have got access to, you know, unlimited textual information, audio, video, podcasts, YouTube things and so on i mean it's incredible from a learning perspective really and and then yeah the interactive games and learning tools yeah fascinating 
back in the day, it was exciting to open up an Encyclopedia Britannica. No, no, it's it's not particularly cutting edge anymore, is it? (laughs) Um, All right. Now, Computex, that's just kicked off in Taipei this week. And... Yeah, as usual, there'll no no doubt be a bunch of announcements. Often uh, Intel will make announcements, and Computex will be you know showing off varying things. And you know, they've had a big big push on the uh, Internet of Things front and and wearables. In fact, there was one thing we didn't talk about was with Google is they have you know started sharing some details in the wearable space that's quite different to any announcements we've seen before we have heard about the idea of clothing that you know that potentially could be used as an interface to computers or that you know carry information or have some sort of control but google and levi's have announced that they're working together on the idea of clothing with the sort of i guess threads built in to the clothing that would allow you to end up maybe controlling you know varying devices and so on through uh, gesture and the like is this the sort of thing you think was going to be of interest to a lot of people is having having clothing that interfaces back into your other pieces of technology i guess if you're not using you know voice control and your clothing knows what you're you know referring to i mean before i wanted to turn adjust the volume on the amazon echo and i had to get within reach of it to twist the top of it which mm. adjusts the volume and that works reasonably well you know but if you're across the room you've got a, you know some audio to control maybe it's a, a tv or or something else rather than reaching for a, a smartwatch or a smartphone is this maybe a thing of the future that will be useful? Oh, I would say so. My simple mind has difficulty comprehending the various capabilities that smart clothing could have. But, you know, I mean, even if it's as simple as a, an exercise shirt, I'm checking my body temperature for when I'm on a run or monitoring my heartbeat when I'm on a run without having to wear a watch if, if I'm not comfortable having one on, you know, that's, that's really beneficial. And I can see, you know, I can see myself absolutely taking part in something like that yeah and you you know you were suggesting before the idea of you know clothing that looks at your temperature and uh, you know adjusts accordingly could be quite interesting if you're running down the street you get a little bit hot and it it decides it's time to uh you know disrobe you (laughs) yeah 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 well interestingly i remember it was was some time ago the uh i believe it was the ceo of levi's claimed that you should never be washing your jeans you should be putting them in the freezer instead so you know, if I could put my jeans in the freezer and when I pull them out, it tells me what steak to pull out as well. That would be handy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, who, and who knows where, you know, where it's all going to go, right? Yeah, yeah, who knows? I mean, that, that's the thing, you know, your imagination is the limit. Yeah, yeah. So uh, no doubt we'll have some interesting, you know, some interesting things ahead in this whole space of wearables and, you know, as more and more, yeah, advances makes these things that, you know, once were talked about, but, yeah, it didn't happen into... Uh, into realities and yeah so asus who are based of course in taipei uh, taiwan there of course they always have varying announcements from uh at well at computex from their their press events and so on so we've we've already been hearing from them uh you know they've got i think the first windows 10 uh device has been announced in terms of a converged you know tablet laptop sort of uh two-in-one They've announced new phones and things. So, uh, yeah, if you're interested in seeing those, definitely worth a look online because there'll be a bunch of announcements really over the over the next few days. Um, not a lot that has that has really hit uh, just yet because it's really only just opening up there in, uh, in Taipei sort of 
as we speak, but yeah, usually some some good and some interesting uh, announcements. Now, mentioning Windows 10, we've had confirmation of Windows 10 is launching globally on the 31st of July. So finally, Microsoft are, are getting reasonably close to finishing off the code for Windows 10. And this is quite interesting. I've got it here on the uh, Surface Pro 3 next to me. And they've, you know, they've certainly been rolling up out the updates a little bit more frequent over the past few weeks. But it's it's not yet perfect. But we're now in a world where Microsoft can you know, perfect the code and then really launch it immediately to consumers rather than that sort of one or two month wait we've seen previously. Do you think that's um that's a good thing having these things sped up a little bit? Yeah. Or is there a risk that they drop something out that's not not quite finished? I uh. guess if they do, they can fix it quickly. I would think so, and then it'll automatically be pumped through to your computer. I think it's great, and I think Windows 10 is going to be fantastic if it continues on the trend of 8 and 8.1. I mean, I really enjoyed those two. I think you know, some of the older users who are more familiar with XP and 7 have had a few issues with the start menu changing, among other things, and I think... And that's where Windows sort of comes in and yeah. Yeah, ticks that box of, hey, you've got to start menu back, and yeah, make some of those things smoother. There's been some interesting comments from people maybe a little bit frustrated that it's swinging too much in the direction of the keyboard mouse control and, and not, not so good in the, the tablet-type situations. But I would imagine Microsoft are going to be working pretty hard over these next few weeks to make sure it's a reasonably smooth experience for, for most people. So, yeah, let's hope they get this one right. Yeah, the, from uh, yeah, most regards, it's certainly been heading in the right direction with the latest uh, you know, bits and pieces I've seen coming into play with it. And the other thing, of course, is that there'll be uh, Windows 10 becoming available on the phone. So word is we will see Windows 10 handsets available and in likely in New Zealand uh, and, and internationally right around that launch date that will come with the new version of Windows Phone. So we'll try and get a little bit more clarity on that availability reasonably uh, reasonably soon because I'm, I'm sure people are interested in seeing what this continuum is like, which uh, Microsoft have been talking about in terms of a, uh, a Windows Phone that can you know become a PC, uh, one device doing, doing two things. Now, on to Doc Kiwi. I'm keen to hear a little bit about how things are going with this new domain name, Angus. Uh, maybe you can you can fill us in on the business of Dot Kiwi and what it's taken to launch a new uh, top level domain. It's um, yeah, it's something that's really only become possible in the last few years, and there aren't uh, there aren't a massive number, I guess, of new domains that people will, will tend to be looking at. But mm. for New Zealanders, mm. uh, Dot Kiwi is probably the most relevant uh, you know, across the board for most Kiwis to, to consider if they're looking at a new top-level domain. We've got, I mean, there's a whole lot of others, aren't there? There's dot .travel and... Yeah, there's um, tons, dot dot .book, dot .dog, dot .wine, dot you, technology. Name you name yeah, it. Yeah, it's yeah, coming. Yeah. I mean, when, when those came through, we bought Gorilla.technology for, uh, for my firm, but it's, at the moment it's just sitting there. It's, it's, not, it's not active. How do you go about getting people, A, interested in buying a dot kiwi domain name and then getting them to uh, to start using it because if they're an existing business mm. you know is, is there much interest in that what's your take there is i mean i think you know what what we found over the the last year while really launching dot kiwi is that it really comes down to what you see and recognize you know and what you trust and so all these other domains like dot technologies and dot space and dot global if you don't see them every day you don't know what they mean you don't know who's behind them you don't know where they'll lead all that kind of stuff and so when we talk to businesses about Doc Kiwi, the initial reaction is the same, except they recognize the word Kiwi. You know, it means a lot here, as it does everywhere. 
and you know we point out the messaging that it conveys and then you start talking about some of the opportunities to use it around maybe not necessarily for your main business website but for marketing campaigns or for um, micro sites that you may want to build and it starts dawning on people that there's far more uses for domains than they originally anticipated um, and that .kiwi is a good fit for some of those. Yeah, well, I think you know, often people will build a, a specific uh, website or a, you know, some, and they'll need a domain name around a particular thing that they're trying to promote or market, whether it's a, a one-off event or they've got some particular content that they want to uh, want to share. And I've certainly noticed that in, in recent years, people buy more and more domains, not just a domain name for their core business. Mm. And I'm sure that must be part of you know what you've got because you mentioned uh, we were chatting earlier was it 12 about 12,000 uh, .kiwi domains um, currently yeah yeah that's right about 12,000 sold yeah yeah so you know you would you know tend to think good chunk of those will be businesses just protecting their brand name so they're buying you know whatever their company name is .kiwi mm. so somebody else doesn't jump on it but you know what are the other exa- well, what are some examples of companies that have gone with .kiwi and are using it uh, you know as a day-to-day um brand yeah well we follow a few and my my personal favorite is kiwi bank i mean they they use inner kiwi as a um, as a, a sort of microsite where they upload a lot of their content which they use on social media you know um, content they've developed themselves the mad butcher obviously was a, a big one for us um, and he switched his full business over but you know there's lots out there um you know we were talking earlier about die henwood how he's got die.kiwi it's not his primary domain for his primary website but he's got one yeah and he uses yeah. it and you know, and there's there's lots of others cropping up all over the place, and you occasionally hear one pop up on the radio for somebody's advertisement. And it, you know, it's quite exciting. But we've also seen quite a few being picked up for personal use. People buying family names, uh, you know, for for family websites or for family emails, and that's pretty exciting as well because it's generally a pretty unexplored space. You know, most most you know domain names are for business use as opposed to. That's right, and we certainly started starting to uh, starting to see that. You know, when the shorter NZ domain names came out. Uh, you know, I wanted to get my surname before, but somebody else had Spain.co.nz, so I bought Spain.nz when it became available. But I can imagine, yeah, there's a scenario where somebody's after, you know, their family name and, yeah, .kiwi, I would say at this stage, if, you know, you've got, the, say, 12,000 names that are gone, mm. then that means there are lots yeah, and lots yeah. and millions there's of other ones. There's a pretty good chance your family name's still around. That, yeah. are, that are available. So, yeah, yeah. I guess that open, opens up those sort of opportunities. And so how do you get people interested? What's the, you know, what, what have you been doing to sort of get the message out there that, yeah, this new top-level domain's available? Because .kiwi.nz was also, you know, available locally prior to that. Obviously, that's a that's a longer name. So <laughs> yeah. you would tend to think if people were going to go for a, you know, Kiwi, they would probably just go for the straight .kiwi. Yeah, yeah. Well, we think so. It's shorter, it's simpler, and you know, most most people most people we we speak with don't didn't even know DocuBeans that existed, even though it was around for quite a lot longer than we've been. But I mean, we talking to people about DocuBe. Basically, what we try and do is illustrate to them how they could use it, because, like I said, most people don't really conceptualize how domain names can be used in marketing campaigns, and so. You have to think. You have to think like a marketer and think how could this be used for a campaign and how would it fit with their business. And then once they get it, they get it. Yeah, and yeah, I can imagine if you you know you're trying to promote something special rather than sending people to your website slash this slash that and a big big name. Yeah, uh, you can have a yeah you know, a shorter version. And I'm and I'm sure there are all sorts of little names that people have played with as well. You know, I'm a dot kiwi. Yeah, and, yeah. you know th- yeah. things like that. There must be a whole whole bunch of those that have disappeared. 
already, and I imagine over time some of those will you know become quite valuable on the on the resale market for uh, you know people trying to pick up those names for whether they're for marketing campaigns or or, or otherwise. Yeah, yeah. Well, it may be the case. Secondary markets have always existed for domain names, but so far a lot of the new the new domains haven't really been able to break into that that sphere yet. I'm sure it will, yeah, it's going to come in time in some format or another. Because how many new top-level domain names are there? It's quite a quite a big number, right? In terms uh, of strings? Overall, I think there's about 1,250 unique ones, I believe, that will be coming out. It could be could be less than that. I, I never keep track of that It's number, a pretty big number, though, right? And, yeah, it is. Uh, now, some of the stats you guys shared recently said you were in the, you know, in the sort of the, certainly in the top half in terms of your your success with uh, you know registrations, is top, that- top quarter, top quarter, top twenty five percent, yeah, So I mean, out of out of the ones that have launched so far, and I couldn't quote a number because it changes every day. But for the ones that are active in the internet, we're in the top twenty five percent, which is really good. But there's you know there's the few in the top. Dot London is doing really well, and dot xyz funnily enough is doing exceptionally well really yeah yeah i yeah. just wouldn't, wouldn't have picked that at all yeah and then there's some there's some international domain names i believe one is um dot wang which is doing really well among others um you know and then below us you've got little guys like dot sydney and dot melbourne funnily enough that mm, you know mm. haven't been able to gain traction yet but you know their time will come yeah yeah okay yeah the, i mean some of those have definitely been interesting and uh you know one that I guess it's actually just you know we often see country ones that are that are reused. So uh, .co for uh, Colombia is, mm. is one of those ones that TV uh, yeah. jumped in there, and yeah, TV for uh, Tuvalu, uh, and then recently uh, .io for Indian Ocean, uh, which is, is quite a quite a fascinating one. Has been uh, you know associated with a lot of tech startups and 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 tech projects recently. So. Uh, yeah, I think people are starting to get used to this idea that it's not just .coms and .co.nz's that are, uh, yeah, have legitimate uses as domain names, huh? No, that's right. And um, you know, with all these new domain names coming on board, all the existing ones are having to become a bit more innovative to you know maintain their market share. And so we'll see lots of interesting changes over the next few years. There's already been talk about um, the .au guys following in the same footsteps as .nz and .uk and dropping the .com and you know, everybody sees the writing on the wall that things are changing, and yeah, they want to keep keep their market share as much as they can. Now, for anyone out there that's that's interested and they want to follow in your footsteps and think, oh, this idea of launching a top level domain name is a good idea. What are the barriers to uh, to getting into this this market? What does it cost to to get a to register a top level name for starters? Well, the first barrier right now is that you can't actually apply for one, but that window will likely open up in the next few years as well. And then the cost to apply for a domain uh, when we applied back in 2012 was 185000 US for the application fee. And then there was a bond that we had to put up as well for continuing operations. If an event ever did occur to drive us into bankruptcy, then our regulator, ICANN, could keep the domain going. So it's not cheap. It's not yeah, cheap. Yeah, it's not sort of the chump change you'd be thinking, ah, oh, I'll get my surname. <laughs> um, probably not likely to uh, to happen for too many people. There'd be there'd be a few people that might consider that. And Carl, I few, can. Yeah, well, <laughs> there are a few big brands that can could do the same, right? And have you monitored any of the brands that have? Because uh, I know there were a lot of brands. Well, there are a number yeah, of there brands. Were quite a few that were that were looking at it. Yeah, um, and um, you know, there were. I'm having an accounting background. I checked to see if all the old old firms were picking up their names. And .kpmg was acquired, and I believe .pwc was acquired, and .deloitte. Walmart, but none have really done much with them yet, save Barclays. I believe Barclays is starting to implement .Barclays. Yeah, um, okay. So it'll be interesting, interesting to see because the benefit, of course, is you, of using them is that 
if you don't arrive at Adopt Barclays website, you know you're not in a legitimate place. Mm, so mm. they have their they have their values. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, it'll be it'll be interesting just to watch how you know how people go about changing because at the moment I think yeah, there's so much trust behind the existing names mm. that exist. And you know, I think it, it takes people a while. You know, I've even been surprised with the you know the the dropping of the .co from NZ, uh, just how few firms have actually you know made that move to the shorter yeah well, that's uh, right. dot, dot .nz uh, names. But as we have seen from from a few examples out there, uh, you know, people are able to do it successfully, and uh, you know, I guess you know, public just. Uh, you know, take whatever Google gives them as the results when they search for a company and go there, right? And, yeah, well, know. that's right. That's right. And, you know, the, you've seen announcements recently about Google um, potentially taking domain names out of the search results in the U.S. You know, it'll be fascinating to see how that, you know, whether or not that um, sticks and travels to New Zealand because suddenly you won't know if you're visiting a New Zealand-based site or an international site and how does that impact the potential credibility of the business you're going to be dealing with? You know, it seems quite confusing to take domain names out of the mix. Yeah, it does. And I mean, you know, most people don't really think about it, but they actually play quite an important part in your, you know, how you navigate the internet. Because I always check to see if a website has a, you know, a New Zealand-based domain name because I, you know, I know what the laws are here. I know what the consumer protection laws are all about, and I don't want to be dealing with a, a website, you know, based outside New Zealand where I don't don't know if I can trust them. Mm. And suddenly, I'm not going to be able to check it as easily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, I think there's, a, there's definitely a few con- considerations around that, or if you know something maybe dodgy had managed to land at the at the top of the search rankings. It's certainly, yeah, the sort of thing that you you check when you've received you know certain emails to get a handle on whether uh, whether they're legitimate or not, and mm. who it's been sent from, and where the links go, and so on. Yeah, so, well, absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah, in terms of degrading. Uh, access to that information, yeah, I can see why that might one day be the case. But yeah, I'd be I'd be somewhat cautious on that approach at this stage. Yeah. All right. Well, um, that's us. Hey, thank you very much for joining me, Angus. Uh, great to hear a little bit about Dot Kiwi. My pleasure. And Thanks. discuss the news of the day. Is there is there anything else we should be aware of on Dot Kiwi? I mean, what's how do we go about registering? Uh, dot Kiwi names, for instance. Well, any of the standard domain registrars here, free parking, first domains, DigiWeb. But if you just want more information, you can come to our website at www.hello.kiwi. Hello.kiwi. I like yeah, that. That's right. Yeah. That's good. All right. Hello and goodbye. Thanks, Angus. Uh, thanks, everyone, for joining us on this episode. You can track us down, nztechpodcast.com and cross social media. Look for NZ Pod- Tech Podcast too. Angus, are you on social media at all? Is there anywhere we can look out for you? I am, but I'm not worth following. <laughs> <laughs> all right. If that's your your advice, uh, we, we, won't go, we won't go searching too hard. Um, all right. Well, thanks, everyone. We'll catch you on the next episode. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.